3: Carl, thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, and welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Tyler Matheson. In today for Scott Wapner. We've got a lot to get through in the next hour, but we begin, of course, uh, with that breaking news on the explosion at Kabul's airport. Let's go to Shepard Smith with the very latest.
4: Hi, Shep. Thanks very much. We now know there have been two explosions there, and the number of casualties has risen in recent minutes. I have a lot of new reporting for you. First, these are our first pictures coming in. It is unclear to us whether this is at the hospital or at the scene, but we do know, and sources are telling, well, first of all, from the Pentagon, officially, we have multiple injuries, multiple casualties. Uh, this from John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesperson. We can confirm that the explosion at the Abbey Gate, which I'll explain in a moment, was the result of a complex attack that resulted in a number of U.S. civilian casualties, We could also confirm at least one other explosion at or near the Barron Hotel, a short distance from the Abbey Gate. We'll continue to update. Now, we have a satellite map of this, and I have some more intelligence on what's going on here. Well, actually, this is a drainage canal. We'll get back to that. Here's the map. Uh, You can see the Abbey Gate there, uh, and this hotel they were talking about, the Barron Hotel, is a very short walk, about four or five minute walk away. And in between the two is a drainage canal. We've been showing pictures on the news and here during news cut ins during the day of hundreds and hundreds of Afghans in this canal trying to get to the main wall where they could uh, give their documents and hopefully get on an airplane. And here that is. And these are British troops in the foreground. This is the area where we believe one of the explosions took place. Uh, there is video on social media that we can't yet air uh, that shows a really horrific scene uh, Taliban officials tell NBC News at least thirteen people have been killed. Officials at a, at the Kabul uh, a hospital tell us there are at least sixty people wounded. so who are they? The Pentagon confirms u s troops are casualties, whether that means killed or wounded we don 't yet know there hasn 't been an official briefing. We also know that civilians have been killed, including children we 're told. Children are among the casualties. Remember, there had been a warning for the last couple of days of a of a threat stream specifically for this gate. And they had sent out warnings about this. The, the most urgent one came last night about 730 Eastern time when the U.S. embassy in Kabul warned all Americans to clear away from that gate and not come back, warned all Americans not to come to this gate because they had actionable intelligence that a terror attack may be coming and at the time the belief was that isis k was planning this attack isis k is a splinter group from isis many of their members had been in prison in kabul but of course the taliban emptied emptied the prisons and when they did so they let taliban prisoners out and alongside them isis k prisoners isis k and taliban are mortal enemies For the past three years or so, they've been fighting an an incredible war that got very little attention in the eastern part of Afghanistan, and they've been fighting to the death there. To say they are mortal enemies is not an overstatement. And ISIS-K would like nothing better than to mess this arrangement up that the Taliban have with the United States. We can't confirm that this is ISIS-K, but every source seems to believe it's ISIS-K, and if so, we have an enormous diplomatic challenge ahead now. Think of the reality of this situation. The United States now relies on the Taliban for security because the Taliban are the governing authority in Afghanistan. The Taliban security cordon has broken down between that gate and that hotel is that drainage canal. It's widely believed that was a place that might be targeted. Americans had gotten away, but Afghans had not. So today there were, we believe, two explosions, one, a suicide explosion. We don't know the details of the other. The long and short of it now, the Pentagon and the White House are scrambling. Briefings that were scheduled have been delayed or canceled in the case of a COVID briefing. And there are many questions now about how our relationship with the Taliban will move forward. The United States had entered into this security relationship saying, Taliban, if you can provide security at our gate, and help us facilitate our evacuation from, from Afghanistan, we'll have no problems and we'll be out by August 31st. But it was conditional. Now that security has broken down. The United States does not have forward operating capacity in Afghanistan. We don't have the troops to go out and secure the perimeter. That was up to the Taliban. That security perimeter has now failed in a catastrophic way. We're waiting to hear from the Pentagon about how they'll move forward militarily. I can see these pictures right here are from shortly after the attack when a Chinook helicopter took off. Could they have been evacuating people who were badly injured? They could have. But I can tell you this on base there, they have a working hospital, four ICU beds. Uh, four operating rooms what what is essentially a hospital in miniature form with some of the best doctors in all the military to work there they can handle small events this was not a small event this is a mass casualty event so now they have to treat the wounded notify the dead figure out a game plan going forward but diplomatically there's an even greater challenge If the security of the evacuation cannot be guaranteed, whether the evacuation itself can continue is is reporting for another moment. Americans cannot now enter the Kabul airport. Everyone else has been told to stay away from the Kabul airport. There are serious concerns about a follow-on terrorist attack. This was clearly a a coordinated attack, two different bombs. Now there is the concern, as there always is, of a follow-up attack that could hurt the medics or any evacuation people who have come in there. And moving forward, how do you conduct an airlift out when there is no route to get in? That's the situation where we are now, unprecedented. We're told the president's been briefed. We're waiting to hear more from the Pentagon. Long and short of it is, the latest word to NBC News is at least 13 people killed. And from the Kabul hospital, at least 60 people injured. More on the news as we get it. We'll have updates from the Pentagon when they happen. And comprehensive report tonight on the news, 7 Eastern, CNBC. Tyler, back to
3: you. Shep, if I might uh, get a point of clarification here. I, I think I heard you say that the uh, early intelligence before the explosion pointed specifically to this gate, the Abbey Gate, as the place of vulnerability where the expl- where an, an attack was likely to take place. Did I hear you correctly?
4: Yes. And, in fact, they told all Americans who had been gathered. Gathering around that gate, the way that it had been working, Tyler, is they would open one gate at a time to sort Mm of uh, control the flow. And they had gotten this actionable intelligence uh, about three days ago that ISIS K and some of the prisoners who had gotten out of prison had been planning this attack. They have shown a capability to organize such attack in the past. And the U.S. Embassy warned Americans get away. It's our understanding from our reporters who were on the ground, though our reporters have left because of this attack. Richard Engel just arrived in Doha, Qatar in the last couple of hours. But the latest reporting was that Americans had left that area. But it really was clear to us that the Afghans don't really have a way to know about this. And further, those who might be wanting to escape, who had worked with the Americans in the past, would be targets of the Taliban and really had nowhere to go. So you either take a chance of leaving, running across a Taliban checkpoint and potentially being killed or taken hostage, or you wait there and hope for a plane. Now in the middle of all that, a terror attack has happened, at least 60 in hospitals, at least 13 people killed, according to NBC News sources, and we're in a predicament that two weeks ago would have been completely unimaginable. Tyler, think of it. The United States government is now relying on a terrorist organization, though not labeled that officially by the United States, in the Taliban to provide security against another terrorist organization, the ISIS-K, with which Taliban is at war in the eastern part of the country that it now rules. Uh, and, And there we are, largely... I mean, you can defend the airport itself. The United States has a military capability to do that. But it does not have forward operating capacity. Those people were evacuated.
2: Yeah,
3: and as we look at some of the video there, we're going to uh, wrap it here, uh, Shep, and you'll keep us uh, posted. You see American troops uh, providing security, presumably within the perimeter right. of the uh, of the airport. You do not see Taliban. Uh, and uh, the question, I guess, will become, and you'll certainly cover it tonight on the news, uh, do the Taliban own this? Do they own
4: this? Uh, there this- is no- no question. The Taliban owned this because that was the agreement with the United States government. It is written in in ink. You have to provide security. This has to be safe for our evacuation. And if you do, we will get out by August the 31st. Now that's broken. What that means diplomatically and for a path forward, we don't know yet. Hopefully we will soon. Shep, thank you so much for that very uh, comprehensive report. We'll
3: be back with you uh, as news warrants. Thanks again, Shepard Smith. You can check him tonight at seven. And let's check now on the markets at this hour. Investment committee today is Courtney Gibson, Rob Seachin, Steve Weiss, John Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's look at some numbers, shall we? Uh, The markets, little changed really uh, on this news out of Kabul. It's not that that the market seems to be taking its cues from. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there you look at uh, five of the market uh, metrics. The Dow Industrials uh, about uh, a tenth of a percent lower, two-tenths of a percent for the S&P 500. NASDAQ again, little changed. Russell, uh, 2,000 down about a half percent. And there you see the yield on the 10-year note moving higher again uh, at 1.35 percent. Of course, the uh, federal- welcome to all of you uh, uh, on the investment committee. Let me turn to you first, Steve Weiss, and get any thoughts you have about how what is going on in Kabul uh, affects the investment landscape, if at all.
2: Tyler, uh, good to have you back on, on the show. Thank you. Um, I don't think it affects it at all. We saw, we saw a knee jerk reaction down on news of the first explosion. I'd say that's typical. And I can't tell you if it's the algos that read the news stories that come out that sold it down or people that were worried. But anytime you see geopolitical incidents, it is always, and I repeat that, always a buying opportunity. This I would not put into that category because it just doesn't have any impact whatsoever on the markets. The human tragedy is, of course, another story. But this just doesn't figure into my thinking nor should it figure into anybody else's. We're out of there. It's a different part of the world. It's not affecting our commerce, not affecting our import exports, period. So that's 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 how I see. it. Rob, do you no dig digress at all
3: from what Steve about. just said or are you uh, on the same page with uh, Steve?
5: You know i'm on the same page it is it is another thing to worry about it's probably something that you shouldn't worry about to steve's point but the one thing about these markets is the more there is to worry about the more when you remove those worries markets can climb those walls of worry um so i I do think outside the human tragedy which is absolutely horrific um, that, you know, this is probably something you shouldn't consider as you're making investment decisions. And, John, Nigerian, any, uh, any digression from you?
6: Well, um, I, of course, agree that a short-term incident like this um, definitely hit those algos. Um, we saw immediately, bang, like that, put buying in the indices. Um, we, uh, you know, uh, that was Tyler puts that were purchased on the S&P 500, as well as numerous other uh, short positions that were established. We fell about 24 points for the S&P. These days, you know, that's, let's call it half a percent or so. You know, it's not a huge move. So I'm not going to disagree with Rob or Stephen that uh, this was both horrific and uh, just a knee-jerk reaction, not a long-term Uh, stop of anything that was else else that was going on in the markets. All right. So we will set
3: that aside as a market influencer today. But what is not a a non a a trivial event is what the Federal Reserve is doing. It is front and center as investors await Chairman Powell's speech tomorrow. Uh, Let's bring in our senior economics reporter Steve Leesman speaking with a number of Fed members today. Uh, Steve, take it away.
1: Yeah, Tyler, three CNBC interviews with Fed presidents so far this morning and this afternoon. All three backing a more aggressive taper despite the Delta variant. Among the most direct, Esther George, the Kansas City Fed president. She's the host of the conference. It's virtual this year. She said the Fed had reached the goal of substantial further progress necessary to begin reducing its $120 billion of monthly asset purchases. And a short while ago, Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan supported a taper announcement in September, saying he didn't think the Delta variant posed a significant risk to the economy.
2: It would continue to be my view that when we get to the September meeting, we'd be well served to announce a plan for adjusting purchases and begin that, uh, to execute that plan in October or shortly thereafter.
1: And earlier this morning, St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard advocated a fairly rapid end to those asset purchases to clear the way, for possibly raising rates if needed to combat inflation. I think we want
2: to uh, get going on taper, uh, get the taper finished by the end of the first quarter uh, next year, uh, and then we can evaluate what the situation is. We'll be able to see at that point whether inflation has uh moderated and and in that case we'll be in great shape
1: now word of caution here among those who have not spoken our fed presidents and governors who we know Hold more dovish views, so it's unclear where the consensus is right now. And the most important speech of all comes tomorrow 10 a.m. from Fed Chair Jay Powell. Here are some of the choices that he has. He could be hawkish, give a strong hint of a September taper. Uh, he could be neutral, suggest a taper announcement likely after several more months of data. Or the most dovish outcome would be he repeats still some ways away from substantial further progress. I don't expect that last one, but it's a toss-up between those... Uh, first two there. The window we have right now in the Fed thinking, though, shows a group that is of presidents who are steadfast in the view the Fed should get on with the business of reducing those asset purchases. Tyler? Stick around for the
3: conversation. I'm going to begin it uh, with Rob, because you say you don't think you see Powell talking taper tomorrow. When his brethren are out there talking it, how can he not?
5: I think he does move to uh, to a more neutral position. I think I think it's all about the the timing here. And why would you get out in front of next week's jobs number? Why would you get out in front of some of the negative news that we're seeing in the market on Delta? I mean, I do think, and I agree with every all the commentators that you've had on over the last the this morning rick reader for example not wanting them to miss their window so i think there's a way to a way to thread this needle uh we think the fed formally announces the start of tapering act actually the november meeting i don't think that's too late there's a chance that it gets uh pushed back to december due to downside risks in the third quarter posed by the delta variant but it should start with uh, with the MBS purchases and potentially U.S. Treasury purchases, which are 15 billion a month. And I think, I think we need to do that. I just don't know that there's the motivation to do that early without that one more uh, uh, cementing data point that allows them to do it comfortably, despite the noise that we're seeing in the market from a lot of the people that know better than I. I guess what I'd say, Steve Weiss here, is that there, in this little group here,
3: uh, uh, you, you guys and Steve and everybody, there's, there's general consensus that taper is coming. The only question is sort of how and when. Steve, you're in the camp that you expect it sooner. Does it matter really whether it's sooner or later for the markets because the markets must already have it baked in?
2: Yeah, I'd be surprised if there were anybody around who didn't expect the Fed to embark on a tightening uh, policy you know, uh, reversal going forward. Look, my view has been consistent, and I'm looking forward, as you say, sooner than later. I believe that Powell's comments tomorrow will uh, be more hawkish, and there is no, you know, I'll disagree with Rob in this, and it's just syntax. There's no going, there's no going to the middle. If you're moving, you're either moving To the tightening or you're staying in the easing camp. I believe they'll be hawkish, as we saw in the Fed minutes, which I thought were a little more hawkish leaning. And I think that they announced that they're going to start tapering at the September meeting. You can wait for data point after data point. We've heard repeatedly from experts that the Delta virus is peaking. And by the way, it hasn't really upset much activity other than leisure. And that will come back. So the economy overall, as we see in some of the retail numbers, is strong. Industrial numbers strong. GDP didn't yeah. disappoint. So I think it's time to get on with it and that they will get on with it. Yeah, so wanna, the market I'm will have a knee-jerk reaction possibly tomorrow, but then it's off to the races before again, Steve, except let, we're not going to have the same type of upside. Before yeah, I let sorry.
3: Steve Leisman go, I want to get one quick question into you. Is there a possibility that the intention to taper is either announced in September but not executed until later? In other words, you say, OK, we're going to start tapering. Yeah. but We're not going to do it really until the 1st of November or whatever. Is that
1: a, a split I, the difference kind I, yeah. of approach? I, exactly. Let me uh, And he's got a, a couple of ways to split the difference. Let me uh, just walk through the, what has to happen here. First is that Powell cannot announce the taper. Powell can hint that he favors a taper announcement right. in September. And it's always been the thinking and the commentary from Fed officials that the Fed would announce a taper at a later date. An aggressive approach would be to announce September, start in October. A little mm-hmm. less aggressive, announce September, start in November. There's all kinds of different permutations to this that I expect Powell, who's pretty good at this sort of thing, to use to bring his committee together and create a consensus. Just real quick, I think one thing that matters here, Tyler, is whether or not the issues that other people were talking about relative to the Delta variant, does QE solve any of that? I think it was Peter Bookbar the other day who said if somebody's not going to go to a concert because of the Delta variant, QE isn't going to make them go. Yeah, good point. Good point. All
3: right, Steve. Thank you very much. Let's move on now and talk a little bit Pleasure. about the financials, which are among the are the best performing sector today and this month. Names like Goldman, Morgan Stanley, they are hitting uh, new highs. Uh, John Nigerian, are you confident that this is a, a, a sustainable uh, move in the financials as interest rates, the ten-year
6: uh, note, back in the one point three neighborhood? Well. Um, Not so much yet, Tyler. I'll be really interested, as we all are, to hear and to see uh, Chairman Powell's comments, just as Steve said, Um, and when, uh, in other words, if he announces the taper, is it October, is it November, is it December, that they actually start? Um, So far, the move has been pretty quick to the upside in yield, downside in bonds, and so some of those bond bears have been rewarded as the bond goes from 125 for the 10-year back up through 135. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we, after the announcement tomorrow, see a little bit of a downside to yield upside in bonds. Why? Because I think uh, they got got what they wanted in that the the bears that had held on through all the turmoil as we pushed down into that 112 for the 10-year area have now recovered some and probably have a little more uh, conviction in their belief that we're going to see higher rates. I don't know if we're going to sustain those higher rates. So if 135-ish area ends up being a resistance above, then I think some of these stocks in the banking and financials, of course, would soften a little. Still great buys long term, but I think they would soften in the short term, Tyler. And more or less, that's the way that I would play it. I am selling calls against banks and the financial exposure that I've got, thinking that they've topped out for the short term.
3: Let's bring in uh, Courtney Gibson. We had a little trouble with her signal there, but uh, welcome back, Courtney. We're talking financials now, and I wonder if you, what your perspective is on them. Would you be going there or would you be holding what you've got
7: or moving out? you know it's really interesting and great to see you guys all today. Um, You know financials that's a broad sector and I think there are some very good things across a myriad of those companies within that sector. There are some names that I decided to trim when they hit my price targets because personally I'm very disciplined in my investing and some of the private equity and other asset management firms were at peaks that I just couldn't resist kind of taking a little money off the table while others like a Blackstone I trimmed. Um, Now not because I don't think that the potential long term is there, but because the place at which I owned it, I have picked up uh, some nice returns and alpha there and took a little bit of my chips off the table, given some of the highs that those names have reached. The same thing with the banks, right? Um, I wouldn't be buying banks right now because you think interest rates are going up. Yeah, that, that sounds good. And that's what everyone's focused on with the banks. But I would be more focused on the balance of their businesses around their MA activity, the SPAC market, the IPO market heating back up. I mean, the amount of calls that at Loop Capital, because we do underwrite um, for a myriad of, of companies on both the debt and the equity side, but the amount of issuance that is kind of in the pipeline for the fourth quarter in 2022 is tremendous at this point.
3: And so you've you've trimmed a couple of positions, including Coinbase and Square, uh, selling out of KKR as well. So a little trimation going on there uh, with Courtney. Steve, you're pretty strong uh, about the about the financials, including Bank of America, Goldman, the uh, some of the ETFs. Steve Weiss.
2: Yeah. And I think John put uh, put it correctly in terms of expectations for Powell. But I got to tell you, if Courtney or or Siege came out and gave the opposite side, I'd agree with them as well. Because the reality is, I just don't know where bonds are going to go. And the best and the brightest that do it and focus on like Reeder, like Tepper, uh, like the bond king, Jeff Gunlock, have had no idea. Everybody's been off sides because there are things going on there technically just don't make much sense. But what I do know is that banks are going to continue to move higher. And whether it's based on Powell's comments, whether it's based on the FOMC meeting in September, or whether it's six months from now, they will move higher. Managements a great. So I did double down on my XLF positions I mentioned yesterday. I still own B of A. I still own Goldman. I try to own best in class. And uh, look, it's just a question of timing, and I just can't pick it with precision. Very Steve. difficult to do, but I'm bullish on the financials.
3: And, Rob, you are too, basically. Steve says he's not sure which way interest rates are going to go or where they're going, but you're a little more confident. You think rates are going
5: up, and that augurs well for the financials. I do think rates are going up. There's a, there's a ton of reasons why, but I think what Steve talks about is there's a number of tailwinds, some of which may manifest themselves today, mm-hmm. and others which may may come later, but all appear to be pretty significant possible. Possible tailwinds and you know, we own the financials in a in in a number of ways uh, Through some of the larger banks like JP Morgan through some of the the more mid cap financial institutions like Evercore and Jeffries Through some of the more uh, through some of the more consumer oriented plays like 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 a a visa And so I I do think that you're going to see this uh, this tailwind this upper Upper tailwind that will lift uh, financials higher. I will tell you that we've been taking advantage of weeks like the week before this one. So anytime there's this confusion around what's going to happen Uh, The cyclicals seem to sell off confusion around the the reopening because it it pressures rates and you have a bad week for the cyclicals last week. And then that completely reverses this week as there starts to become some consensus on looking through uh, kind of the Delta variant and the economic reopening, which obviously lifts lifts rates and lifts economic activity. And so. I think Steve's right. If you're patient, you take advantage of the sell-offs, that you're going to be rewarded over the intermediate term, and that's why financials are one of our favorite sectors.
3: All right, Rob, thank you very much. ladies and gentlemen, stay where you are, because up next, the Investment Committee's latest moves, plus ARC's Kathy Wood getting back into China stocks. We're going to follow the money there. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. Halftime is
4: back in two minutes.
0: Welcome back to the halftime report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is the latest from Kabul. Casualty numbers have risen from the attacks near the Kabul airport. U.S. military officials say that three Marines were injured at the explosion at the Abbey Gate of Kabul airport. An emergency hospital in Kabul now saying that there are about 60 injured. That is twice what they reported about an hour earlier. And Taliban sources say at least 13 people were killed. And the other attack location is exit the Baron Hotel. That's just a short distance from the airport. U.S. officials say they strongly believe a group known as ISIS-K is behind both attacks. ISIS-K, a splinter group of ISIS that is considered an adversary of the Taliban. There are also concerns about the possibility of more attacks at the airport. The White House says that the president has been meeting with his national security team and receiving constant updates on the situation in Kabul. Sources saying that there is no indication yet that, the, that Biden plans to change the August 31st deadline for troop withdrawal. And on the news, team coverage of the situation in Kabul get the latest tonight at 7 Eastern as Shep Smith and his team continue to follow those developments throughout the day. Tyler, I'll send it back to you.
3: Rahel, thank you so much. Rahel Solomon, the investment committee making some moves. Uh, let's start with you, Rob. you got two new
5: positions. Tell us what they are. So Madison Square Garden Entertainment, MSGE, we bought in our opportunistic portfolio last Friday as a way to capitalize on the recent weakness in the reopening trade um got to tell you it's been an unbelievable performer since then uh, up over 20 percent it's a diversified live entertainment and restaurant company centered in new york city las vegas chicago um a lot of those businesses are run by some of my friends they're they're unbelievable operators uh you know jason strauss matt strauss noah Tepperberg really know what they're doing in, in, in this space. We like MSGE based on attractive valuation, trades at less than one time book, and it's, it was 40% off its year-to-date high. So even though it's up a ton this week, we think there's a lot of room, uh, room to go in this reopening play. And then we added in our dividend portfolio uh, last Monday, uh, on Monday actually, uh, EOG, Resources, which is a shale producer that offers a combination of a, an attractive valuation and at nine times next year's earnings, 10 percent free cash flow yield and 20 percent dividend growth really stands out in the energy sector um, as we think about deploying capital there.
3: All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Court, let's go to uh, you told us about a couple of your uh, financials that you had trimmed back a little bit, uh, including KKR or maybe you sold out of that. But you've also uh, trimmed Walmart. Why? You
7: know, I've been trimming a number of names, Tyler. And and again, I want to go back really quickly to, to Steve. financials are going to win. It's picking the right names. Walmart is going to win. It's a behemoth. I mean nearly what 600 billion in revenue in fiscal 2021. But that size is also going to be a weakness for people like me or investors like me that are seeking greater growth in some of these retail names. I mean a six point seven seven percent kind of sales growth is a bit tepid right when you can look at some of the other retail names and get a bigger bang for your buck at this point. Let me be again very clear. Walmart is not a name you will ever lose in the long term with. It's a matter of what bang for your buck do you want to get? And I just don't think in the retail space, Walmart is a name um, over the next 12 months where uh, I want to kind of park my cash at this point.
3: Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, I think back of Walmart uh, not very long ago. It was struggling to get out of the 50s, struggling to get out of the 70s, and now it's at 140 uh, and change. Well,
7: And when I I trimmed it off, Tyler, I'll be candid with you. Again, being a disciplined investor is critical. I had price targets on it, and I got out. And it's actually down from where I sold, so, you know, knock on wood, I guess, you know, even a broken clock can be right twice a day, so uh, it's really, I think I got that one
3: there. It's really an interesting conversation, probably for another time, uh, to, to talk to each one of you about what your sell discipline is, because it's not just what you buy and when, it's what you sell and when that determines whether you're actually making money or not. We ought to talk about that next time. Next time I'm here, we'll build, build some space for that. But meantime, let's move on. I think we've mm-hmm. covered who do, who's done what lately uh, in recent moves. Let's move on now to Chinese stocks. And after dumping her Chinese tech holdings in the wake of the country's regulatory crackdown, Kathy Wood, the famous Kathy Wood, snapping up those China stocks again. And Kate Rooney has the details. Kate.
9: Hey, Tyler. Kathy Wood getting back into Chinese tech names through Ark's fintech innovation ETF ticker ARKF, scooping up more shares of Tencent, Pinduoduo, and JD.com this week. Ark buying up. More than two hundred and thirty thousand new shares of Tencent. That's the biggest of her new positions in that group. Together, those three names make up just under one percent of that total innovation ETF. But Ark has been a seller of another Chinese tech name, Met. Excuse me, Met Meituan. Ark's fintech. Fund selling 1.3 million shares of that online marketplace in China. The buying does mark a turnaround after dropping Chinese ste- stocks following those regulatory crackdowns out of Beijing. Here's what Kathy Wood told CNBC's Tech Check about it last week. We have never said uh, the Chinese names are uninvestable. What we have said is because of the social engineering Uh, it seems, or re-engineering that's taking place in China, that the valuations associated with these companies uh, are are damaged, and and we don't think they're going to go up uh, uh, anytime soon. Wood's high-growth ETFs through ARK Invest Invest have attracted billions in new cash since last year, but some investors are stepping back more recently. According to data from FactSet this week, investors have pulled out $2.7 $2.7 billion from the ARK funds. That's since the end of June. Barron's pointing that out. Today, in a piece in that publication, the flagship ARK Innovation ETF saw the biggest chunk of those outflows, about $1.4 billion in capital, leaving that fund. Tyler, back to you.
3: All right. Thank you very much, uh, Kate Rooney. Let's go to uh, John. Uh, you've been seeing some some activity, some high volumes in some of these Chinese names in options. Tell us about it.
6: Ex- Exactly, Tyler. We saw in June a lot of positioning on the negative side. Uh, So it bears out what Kate Rooney was just describing um, as people were buying puts and those stocks were being hammered by the CCP Mm -hmm. uh, because that was it. It wasn't earnings. That was all CCP related uh, selling. That stopped basically around the 17th of August. And they started aggressively buying um, about that time. Pete talked about it on the halftime report. A week ago or so with Alibaba, they returned there. I had short positions on, reversed out of those. Um, Same thing in Didi, And then these, uh, many of these that I'll describe right now, Tyler, uh, like PDD and JD, those both saw substantial jumps just in the last couple days. To give you an idea, the normal activity in PDD is about, uh, I think, in the neighborhood of uh, what? Eight million shares a day traded. Forty-two million shares on Tuesday. Wow. Um, you look at JD. Average turnover there is about twelve million. It traded thirty-five million on Tuesday. So whether that's the footprints of Kat- Kathy Woods, Ark Innovation, or whether that is uh, a, ho- a host of folks just kind of noticing through um, algorithms and so forth, they tend to kind of go in one direction when they see a whole bunch of buying. They'll, they will run right along with it, and that has been happening in spades. Um, when I look right now at the options, PDD, they were buying upside at the 90 strike uh, just a little, about 10 days ago. Now they're buying up to the 115 strike in September mm-hmm. for PDD. And in J.D. Uh, Aug 75s that expire tomorrow, Tyler, they've been buying those, and they're feasting on this as these – Two stocks in particular have zoomed to the upside, you know, recovering, John, but not anywhere near new highs.
3: John, it is hard to overstate, hard to overstate how much your friend Steve Weiss love, love, loves these Chinese stocks. And I'm going to let him make his case right yes. now. Steve?
2: <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I love shorting them. So I, so I covered my shorts and PD. <laughs> <laughs> I covered my shorts in PDD, Billy and Baba, last Friday and Monday, and it was luck. I didn't expect Kathy to come in, but the shorts just got too heavy. And I started shorting them again this morning. I'm legging into them. Look, there's no there there. The way this is going to play out is very simple. They will never comply. The Chinese companies will never comply with the requirements for audit transparency that every other publicly traded company on U.S. exchanges has to comply with. And Gensler has said they will be delisted. And when they're delisted, and I've said it before, I've been to court with Chinese companies in the Cayman because you can't sue them here. You got to sue them in the Cayman Islands. And when they do that, they will come and they will trade what you have for nothing because it's worth nothing. You own rights. And And I laugh when people compare them to U.S. companies. U.S. CEOs don't disappear in the middle of the night. US, U.S. shareholders own assets backing up these companies. U.S. shareholders have a right in the, in the uh, hierarchy if these companies don't do well. For China, all you know, all you own is a revenue stream that may or may not be there. P- Duo is losing money. Billy's losing money. Bob has seen Baba's seeing their
3: earnings now. come down.
2: Trust me, you don't want to be there.
3: All right, let me, let me turn to I Courtney. I about that, Tyler. Courtney
7: Courtney loves her Baba. I do. I mean, you know, and the valuation is extremely compelling here. And I understand Steve's hesitancy Based on this. On what, and, and Courtney, we though? need Based to. On, but Steve, you have to delineate do between the names. Sort that's what like, I understand. Have you looked at the revenues? Have you looked at the 32 million annual active accounts that are out there just more recently in user growth from Baba? Let's look at kind of what their landscape is and what the opportunity set is. If you don't want that risk on the table, 100%, Steve, short it, do what you want to do with it. But long-term, if there is a winner in this space, which China, I don't care what you say about the CCP, they're not letting their economy go by the wayside. They're moving their muscle. The United States does it all the time. Get over it. At the end of the day, if you want to see growth, and you want to see growth in some of these emerging economies, and you actually want to tap into this consumer, this billion-plus people in China, Baba is the absolute best play for you to have in your portfolio. You will struggle. I've I've held it for a while. Exactly. It's painful. It's painful right now. But I'm definitely not selling it right now because the potential, whether it's two or three years down the line, will absolutely be there. And just like it doesn't rise the same way that you're seeing with J.D. and Tencent and the others, it's, you're also not getting right. cut in the same way either.
3: we got to go to a quick tease but, here. But, but, ahead, Courtney, final quick
2: thoughts, Steve. Let, 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 me, let me just say this quickly. Courtney, Courtney, you don't own the company. You own a variable interest entity that some Chinese legal scholars have said is illegal. It cannot be enforced. You have no claim on anything. If you want to own China. I don't disagree with the growth. You own ordinary shares. You own them on the China exchanges. You don't own these false pieces of paper that are trading on Steve, the U.S. Are you exchanges. Taking the company and to doesn't the doesn't or care or about trading stock? Because
7: last time I checked, I can take my stock and I can trade it right now. So I understand what you're saying in the long term sure in the event can. of liquidation of the company. Right. I can trade my stock today. I can get my money today if I want to do that. Of course you can. I mean, you can lose more money today, on it today. You can do that. No, not necessarily. Right. Exactly. And watch it down. Wrong. It's up.
3: You're
2: not. All right, Steve, folks. Steve, that's not true. We've been All right. Time out. We We've been up. discussing this since 280. <laughs> Great. We're going to take Sorry. a quick break and down. make some money here
3: for uh, the parent uh, company. Let's talk a little bit about Peloton. It is set to report earnings after the bell. The shares have been rallying into the print, up 10% in the past week. The committee is going to take their positions next on halftime. We'll be right back.
0: ESG investments are on track for another record year. BlackRock has seen $40 billion in inflows so far this year. Compare that to the $50 billion invested in ESG in all of 2020. BlackRock estimates that the total ESG market will reach $1 trillion by 2030. The iShares ESG, MSCI, USA Leaders ETF, is up 22% so far this year, outperforming the broader markets. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
3: Shares of Peloton are higher ahead of earnings after the bell today. The stock now up nearly 10 percent in the past week, still down more than 20 percent this year. Courtney, uh, before I turn to you, I want to point out that that the only person whose Instagram gives Ali Love a run is Rob Seachin. And if you know, you know what I'm talking about.
5: Courtney, what do you think? You
3: own it. RCH1,
5: Tyler, RCH1.
3: RCH1, and Courtney, uh, take it away. What do you think of Peloton?
7: Oh, I thought you were going to ask me about his Instagram. I'm like, I haven't been on his IG. Oh, you got to watch. You got
3: to go. And Ali Love, they're very good. Very smart.
7: (laughs) But uh, on Peloton, I'll be honest, I'm a a bit concerned into earnings here. So I still own a little bit of it, but I trimmed it pretty substantially from when I bought it uh, upon the recall because what concerned, what I didn't realize was that they were actually going to stop selling the treadmill. And so I think this quarter is going to be incredibly disappointed. For the long term, they make an incredible product. Let's be clear. And I think that they're going to do well, but they're going to have to get back on their bicycles, literally, and get those treadmills back in in the fold to make some more money. Um, We've actually seen some institutional selling into these numbers that you're seeing here, as well as some shorts. So um, I'm very interested to see what they come in for the quarter here. If you want to be a long-term buyer, um, that's up to you. I prefer a more diversified uh, fitness uh, entity, which you can probably guess which it is. Courtney, thank you very
3: much. We'll <laughs> leave it right there. John's latest trades in unusual activity. That's next on Halftime. I just love the name of this segment, Unusual Activity. John, what are you seeing?
6: Well, and I love doing this show with you, Tyler, so Likewise. thank you, sir. Um, Carnival, <laughs> Carnival Cruise Lines. CCL this one Tyler they're buying calls that are just above the market the stock was trading 2360 I think they were buying the 24 calls that expire next Friday the third of September so that was the first trade second one Tyler is further out into the future EQT 12,500 of these similarly priced 24 strike calls but in the case of EQT the stock is a $17 stock so they're seeing a lot more upside, but it's out in December. Again, the 24 strike. I am in both of these trades. I will probably be in the December trade for several months. The other, probably several days.
3: All right, John, thank you very much. No show goes faster than this one. We're at finals trades next nope. on Halftime. All right, let's go to our final trades. Ladies first, Courtney. Courtney.
7: My final trade is Uber. I own the name personally, and we cover the name at Luke Capital. Rob Sanderson on our team has a seventy dollar price target on it. recently took a look. We all know about the diversified platform and reopening and all that, but he recently took a look and sized up the market for their ad opportunity potential, and he has a number of around seven and a half billion conservatively, so right. pay attention to that, and uh, Uber's where it is. Mr Instagram. <laughs>
5: I don't know about you all, but I'm going to stick with MSGE, which I talked about earlier. I'm ready to go out with my friends, Lavo, Marquis, Tau, Highlight Room, Beauty in Essex. I mean, let's get out and about.
3: That is why the man's Insta is so good. Steve, go.
2: <laughs> all in one night, huh, Rob? All in hey, one I'm night. Hey, I'm sticking baby. with my short and Bob. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking my short and Bob. I'm legging you into it. The stock goes lower. John Quickie.
3: American Express bought it during the show. All right. Thank you, guys, for making me uh, so comfortable here. Really appreciate it. There you see American Express down a little bit. That does it for halftime. The exchange begins now.
2: You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
8: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric.